Hello everyone, I am Tom Capone, and I'm here with my dad, Anthony Capone, in Oceanside, New York, on Saturday, March 10th, 2018. My dad and I are going to have a conversation, which we thought you might be interested in, in hearing. Are you ready, Dad? I am. So, Dad, why don't we begin uh, by having you tell us about where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, Bensonhurst, and uh, I went to PS226, Sethlow Junior High School, and Lafayette High School. Um, what, what was the address? Where did you grow up with Grandma and Grandpa and your sisters? 2127 61st Street, Brooklyn. And uh, the church on the corner was St. Athanasius. What do you remember about your neighborhood? It was um, private homes. Across the street was uh, uh, one two-story building with an apartment upstairs and down. The lady upstairs on that, across the street from me, was uh, of Jewish faith. And she w didn't want, was religious restriction prohibited her from answering the phone or turning the light on. So she would come to the window and say, Sonny, you come up and uh, turn the light on for me, please. <laughs> so that became a ritual. So you were the one to do that for her? Yeah. <laughs> and how often did this happen? I was the... Uh, how long did this go on for? I was the um, Sabbath... Goy, the 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 gentile gentile boy, I think it was called. Um, well, when I asked you to tell me stories or memories that you had, I had no idea that was the one you were going to pick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great memory. Well, we lived. Uh, I should tell you that um, uh, my cousins lived about five houses away from us on the same street. I had three. I had three sisters, and no brothers. And my cousins were four brothers. So obviously, I used to hang out with them. They lived a few block, a few houses away from us. Their mother and my mother were sisters. So we were cousins. So you grew up in a neighborhood where you had many relatives, close family, close-knit family? Yes, yes. What was, um, what were the weekends like, a typical Sunday? Because I know Sundays were very important for us growing up. Yes. Were, were there rituals or traditions that took place in your family on weekends or Sundays? Yes, we went, uh, we went to church every Sunday morning. And... <laughs> The pastor, when he he said mass, it was tough. It was Father Kelleher, <laughs> and he went on and on in a booming voice, and uh, we just had to uh, <laughs> endure it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, oh, it's Father Kelleher today. <laughs> uh, but uh, on the block, as I said, I used to hang out with my four cousins, and um, so they were 
quote my brothers, mm -hmm. so to speak. Talk a little bit about uh, Grandma and Grandpa and about what life was like growing up All right. in Bensonhurst. My father came to this country when he was 15 and um, eventually learned English and became a successful uh, businessman. And he sent for his grand, he sent for his parents and they came and they were, and he bought a house on 61st Street. And I was born there and my father had already sent for his parents. They were in the house when I was born by a midwife in the bedroom upstairs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what I'm getting at is that I grew up with grandparents in the house who spoke no English. They never learned English. And I grew up bilingual. When they spoke to me, I answered. I didn't know the difference. I just answered in their language and so on. So I was really bilingual. And uh, I'm not only am I proud of that, but I've read in science articles in the New York Times, for example, that said that children who speak two languages or more show higher achievement in their adulthood, mm -hmm. uh, IQ-wise and uh, achievement-wise. So <laughs> I was happy to uh, about that. So do you have any other memories that you can share of your grandparents? My grandparents were um, my grandmother always cooked Sunday morning breakfast for me <laughs> before I went to church. Was it usually the same, or did she vary it from... Usually the Sunday? same. She should make chicken pots and uh, some potato in it with a little brown gravy oh boy. and bread. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... Um, and my grandfather tended the uh, vegetable garden in the backyard, uh, and he had a fig tree, which he took care of in the wintertime. He wrapped it with, with old clothes and so on, and on the top, he would put a pail down over the top of the tree. And then in the spring, he would reveal the tree again, and it would grow figs. I guess that would explain the fig tree that Grandma and Grandpa had in their backyard. Exactly, it was part of my father's heritage. So when we moved to Oceanside, he planted a fig tree against the back wall of his house, mm -hmm. the outside wall. And uh, I still can picture him vividly walking from his house to this house, my house, uh, when we were adults. And uh, he'd walk and he'd be peeling a fig <laughs> and munching it, or he'd bring some to- I can picture him doing that. To my wife, yeah. A, a wonderful memory of him. So what was the uh, thought process? How did the grandma and grandpa decide upon leaving Brooklyn and coming to Long Island, and how did they choose Oceanside? 
as a place to move to. My father? Yeah. My father and yeah. mother. What happened was that um, my uh, cousin, I'm trying to think of the relationship, my cousin Frank and Serena. Amaro. Amaro moved here to Oceanside. They bought a house uh, a few blocks away from where we are sitting right now. And she loved my father and mother and so on. And every week we would go there and she would uh, prepare a wonderful dinner. We'd all sit around a big, big dining room table. And it was uh, traditional. My uh, Aunt Sadie, the mother of Frank mm -hmm. Amato, uh, lived there too. And so we would we would go there and have dinner. Serena was a very good hostess and enjoyed the company. Mm -hmm. uh, so during those visits, you found out, or Grandpa found out, that there was a house for sale, oh, or how did that? When they come moved about? here, exactly. I lost the point. Uh, when they moved here, it prompted my father to look for a house, and he found the house here on the, what's the next block? On Frederick Street. On Frederick Street. The house was being built, or it was a house that had been owned previously? No, it, it had just been built, and he bought the house. Mm -hmm. And how old were you when, when you moved from Brooklyn to Oceanside? Or when they moved to Oceanside? How old were you at that time? I was, uh, I think I was 18. I went in the army. Mm -hmm. I was going to school at Columbia by subway and so on. And then uh, now I'm thinking about uh, 1945 or so. I turned 18 and was drafted. Mm -hmm. I know that you have a story that you tell about Grandpa I about when you were drafted. Drafted, I had to leave, I was 18, and uh, he went downstairs, he was downstairs in the steam room with the furnace and so on. We used to have coal as a fuel. So this was back in Brooklyn, this wasn't in Oceanside, that was back in Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. And. Uh, he was downstairs in there, he was crying. He wouldn't come up. I said, Dad, I have to leave. I have to go report uh, for the army. I'm drafted. He wouldn't come up. I had to go down. He was crying. He, he did not come up at all. And my grandfather, who had been a merchant seaman in, uh, in the uh, Italian merchant marine, uh, for 30 years or so, had been on voyage around the world in the sail sh ships that had sails. He came with me. I had my duffel bag, you know, with clothes and things. And he came with me uh, to the subway on <laughs> 20th Avenue. And, uh, and I left and reported. And how long did you serve for? 
I served for fourteen uh, uh, months, thanks to Harry Truman. I was in the Philippines, actually. I, we got on a troop ship from Staten Island, went south through the Panama Canal, across. I was on that ship, troop ship, for 32 days. Why, why do you say thanks to Harry Truman? I say that because I would have been an invasion force for Japan. Harry Truman ordered the, the two bombs uh, on Tokyo. Mm -hmm. First one, no, they didn't surrender. The second one, Japan surrendered. Otherwise, if the war had continued, I, I would have been from the Philippines mm -hmm. and as part of an invasion force. So you were in the Philippines for 14 months? Yeah. And in what capacity were you there in the army? Well, when we got there, we were put in a deployment area waiting to be assigned. And, and my favorite story is that uh, Private Capone report to headquarters company immediately. And all my guys that I'd been on the ship with, uh, Capone, what the heck? They didn't say hell, what the F? <laughs> what did you do? Keep it clean, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know, I've been with you guys. So I brought, sit down, soldier. I saluted and sat down. Um, we've been going through uh, the records of uh, guys in the, that have just arrived. Mm -hmm. You've been to college already? I said, well, I, I graduated high school. I skipped a year in my schooling, graduated 17, and there were triple sessions that uh, at, I was accepted at Columbia, and triple sessions. So I took 17 or 18 credits each. I guess it's true what you said before about being bilingual increasing the brain power and being bright. Oh, okay. You skipped a grade. I skipped a yeah. grade. Right. And um, so they, they said, uh, you've had biology already at college? Yes. Chemistry? Yes. Uh, and, and other things, all sciences mostly. Mathematics? Yes. We need a medic in a field dispensary out in the boondocks. Would you like to be a medic? Sure, yes sir. Get your gear and come back in 10 minutes. Which I did and um, uh, I reported back. We got into a big uh, army truck mm -hmm. with the canvas uh, back and so on and I sat next to the driver I had my rifle, he had his rifle, and we drove through countryside, very narrow dirt roads, palm trees. Uh, uh, natives lived in uh, houses built on stilts for, uh, because of the poor rain sometimes and floods. And uh, so we would pass in these narrow dirt roads and these little houses, shacks on stilts, naked kids in there, mm -hmm. caribous crossing the road, rice paddies, and, uh, and we finally 
arrived at the uh, place. So I, I arrived and the uh, captain said, uh, show the soldier where he's bunking. And it was uh, on a wooden platform and there was a cot, but the cot had a wooden frame, boom, up, across, and so on. And the purpose was uh, netting mm -hmm. would be Straight able to over. come down so when you slept, you tucked it in under the mattress because the insects would have bitten you. Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, did that. So I went, I put my gear there and so on, reported back. And there were 10 soldiers standing in line. They all had uh, venereal disease. <laughs> and they had to be given an injection of, um, I can't penicillin. think of Penicillin, whatever. Uh, no, no, first we had to take their blood, a test yeah. tube of blood. So I, he said, um, so I went in, I reported, and he said, we need a test tube of blood from uh, each of these soldiers. I, I said, I'm sorry, sir, I've never done that. He says, well, that's why I'm doing the first one. You finish the line. I still remember the second man. <laughs> you could see the, yeah. the look of fear in his eyes and his face. And of course, I uh, I missed the vein and pulled it out to try again. And when I pulled it out, he got a big bean there. <laughs> and one of the other um, guys there came over. He says, no, when you miss a vein, don't pull the needle out. Just keep fishing underneath. Otherwise, that happens. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the 10 men, I was an expert. <laughs> Tell me, how was uh, your transition? I mean, you had come from a, a loving home, your parents and your sisters, and, and that kind of a, an environment. And then all of a sudden, to be drafted in, on a boat, and then you found yourself in the Philippines. How was that transition for you? How did you handle all of that? Well, uh, we became friends, really, with the guys. And we had a, um, a Filipino doctor, Dr. Anise Magapanpan. Mm -hmm. She was a, an MD. Doctor? An MD. Yeah. And she worked in the uh, unit where I was, you know, uh, taking care of the Filipino young men, uh, older teenage and young in 20s, who used to work around the, the base, keeping it clean and so on. And we also had uh, soldiers, active soldiers around the perimeter. There, even though the Japan had surrendered, there were many Japanese soldiers who refused the surrender and stayed in the jungle surviving. But they had to steal food and 
and so on, and they would whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was still a, a combat kind of air, air about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, another <laughs> quick story is we used to have night duty, uh, pulled, uh, night duty uh, every several days, and uh, some of the soldiers had to get uh, shots because of their uh, gonorrhea and so on every two hours. And we had an alarm clock, a mechanical clock that had to be wound up mm -hmm. and set it for every two hours to give them injections. And one night, a soldier was uh, brought in. Or he was wounded, and he had a big gash about uh, two inches on his head deep. You could see the scalp and everything. So. I went to the Captain Banks. <laughs> he was, he had, uh, he lived in a, a, a not a tent, where, uh, not a shack either, a structure, a building mm -hmm. with a door and so on. So I knocked on the door and I, I said, the soldier was just brought in, he has a big gash on his head and it needs uh, suturing. What the F you're waking me up for? God damn it. He said, you've seen us do it. You do it. You're on duty. And don't wake me up anymore. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So I went back. And in those days, well, I, I can still see we had the sterilizing thing. I had f needles, a forceps, threads. Everything was sterile. And I gave him an injection. And, anesthetic injection and I did what what was called a mattress stitch and then with the forceps I tied the string pulled them tight cut it put the next stitch and so on you did it I did it I are an expert <laughs> <laughs> so you you were there in that capacity for 14 months yes and then and then uh, we were selected to, to be discharged, so we got on a ship that came back to Fort Ord, I believe, in California. And we had to be interviewed by an officer who tried mightily to get us to re-up. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, no, no. I guess he knew it after a while. And uh, so he signed the papers. I was discharged, and I got a $168 for transportation home. I immediately, talking to the they, other they guys... They left it up to you to figure out your way back home? Or yes. they provided No, that? no, that was it. So from... I was discharged there. It was my responsibility to get home. So how did you get back? To New York from California on $168, which at that time, I'm yes, sure... Yes, it paid for a flight, an airplane. I had never been on an airplane, but, you know, from the guys... <laughs> got on an airplane. I, I got the uh, reservation and so on. And it was a, a two-propeller plane. 
that made seven stops from San Francisco to New York. Do you, do you remember some of those stops or do you remember all of them? Well, I remember one was Ypsilanti, Michigan. <laughs> I didn't know that there was, there was such a place as Ypsilanti, begins with a Y, Ypsilanti, Michigan. Well, that, that wasn't the first stop, obviously. No, it wasn't the first stop. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And the next to last stop was Philadelphia. I said, what are we doing in Philadelphia? We're going to New so York. Close. <laughs> and we finally got to New so, York. So uh, what was that like then, after 14 months, finally coming back home? Well, of course, was I was that? in uniform. Everybody was embracing where did, where me. Did you, where did they see you for the first time? Was it back at the house in at Brooklyn? At the house, yes. And they knew exactly when you were due to arrive? Yeah, yeah. And who was, who was there? Well, my father, my mother, my sisters, my cousins down the street, who lived down mm -hmm. the street, and so on. And then the first thing we did was um, we went, I don't know who drove, I don't remember, to Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. It's an army base right by the bridge. <coughs> Excuse Bless me. You. Thank you. And I went to the PX, Post Exchange. Mm -hmm. I bought <laughs> civilian underwear, T-shirts, shirts. You said that was the first thing you did. Literally the first thing that you did? Well, or when I got home, something, yeah. What was the... Was there a celebration? Was there a dinner? I imagine that, that grandma... No, no, no. We went there. I got all those clothes and came back. And I... I remember being outside. Yeah. You know, people, my cousins came, my aunt, mm -hmm. and so on. And I was home in a suit. <laughs> um, your friends that you grew up with... They yep. were drafted as well, yep. and each had very different experiences. Yeah, and my friend uh, Tony Phillip Puggy, mm -hmm. we called him Puggy because his last name was Puglisi, so we grew up calling him Puggy. Mm -hmm. He and I are the same age. He went to Europe, I went to the Philippines, and we got home discharged at the same time and I had been to started a college at Columbia and uh, and and he had started but the semester had started already and we couldn't renew our mm -hmm. college education so for a few months three or four months we had to wait so we went to his aunt's house, who was a, a young woman. She had two small children, and she was a, uh, you know, she, she was young, and she related to us. So we would go there, she'd put up a pot of coffee, and we would uh, play chess or talk or gab and so on. And what was significant about that? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The her back porch. Her back porch 
an open cement porch outside. We would sit outside if, you know, weather permitting. And next door, upstairs, there were people who lived on the top floor of that two-family house, and they had a back porch, a porch out there. And we would wave and say hello and so on and so forth. It so happened that that family had a daughter named Marie. (laughs) And she would pass the house going back and forth to get a bus to go to work. That was, so that was the first time you had seen? Yes, this young lady. And uh, so on the days that we were there, um, she'd be walking past there, and I asked her for a date. How long did it take you to muster up the, the courage for them to ask her after seeing her for the first time? Just a matter of days, that's all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And she obviously said yes. She said yes, and uh, if you ask me where we went, I, have, I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> so that was after you came home from your service yeah. in the Army. You met Mom, you began dating, and, and I went going, back. To, you're going to school. Went back to Columbia, mm-hmm. and I graduated with my class because I took three semesters at a time, uh-huh. and I graduated uh, in 1948. So, what I'd like to do is to continue this conversation. Uh, the next time we come back together and have this conversation, maybe we can pick up where we left off here with um, you meeting Mom. And your courtship, and, and, and maybe you can at that time share, you know, a little bit about that because I know that we all would love to hear these stories again. Okay. All right? Yep. Dad, thank you so much. This is great. All right, Thomas.